Hey guys, Smaller on the Outside is a TV show podcast that talks about a different TV show per podcast season. So if you go into our past, into our history, into our archives, if you will, you'll notice all the different TV shows we've talked about. So we've talked a lot about Doctor Who and Sherlock, but we've also talked about 24. 24 Live Another Day, The X-Files, Smallville, and now Alias. Guess what? I have a plan for the future. I don't want to tell you about it, though. I want to keep it a surprise. You'll just have to wait and see. So make sure that you subscribe to this podcast, like it, review it, and tell your friends about it. Because the next show we talk about might be your favorite. Hey, what's up? And welcome back to Smaller on the Outside, or as I would like to call it, SOTOCAST. The first, the best, and the only alias podcast that you just can't miss. My name is Dave, and I will be the double agent for you this evening, and sometimes I have a co-host with me, but this season is going to be a one-man show. That's right, everyone. Mono e mono, just you and me. So sit back, relax, and let's go to SD6. This episode marks the first episode of the podcast's 13th season, which will be covering Alias every two weeks. Today, we're looking at the first season of the show, which I call The One with Will's Investigation. Obviously, there's a lot more to it than that, but as far as season importance goes, that's the most prominent. But we'll get into the characters and season arcs in just a hot second. But first, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Take it away, me. Welcome back! Now, before I get too carried away, let me first explain what Alias is, if you don't know. Alias was a show that aired on ABC between the years of 2001 and 2006, created by J.J. Abrams in what I can only assume was the thing that really boosted his popularity. It stars Jennifer Garner in the lead as Sydney Bristow, a spy that thought she was working for the CIA, but in reality found out she was actually employed by the bad guys and becomes a double agent to help bring them down. Additionally, the show doubles as a subtle supernatural mystery surrounding the mysterious prophet by the name Milo Rambaldi. Uh, These two stories are essentially the foundation for the show and acts as the fuel that keeps the show running. And that's the formula on how it runs. Other than uh, being a very action-oriented show, the show consistently used a cliffhanger-heavy structure that makes it very difficult not to binge it. The way that it did it was their mission usually began somewhere in the middle of an episode and ended the next episode, so each episode ended mid-mission in the middle of something really tense, dangerous, mysterious, and jaw-dropping, and you had to wait for the next week to see what happens. Apart from that, let's quickly go over the importance Season 1 has. Uh, Season 1 had one primary arc that stretched from beginning to end, and that was Will's investigation into SD6, the place where Sydney works. I can't tell you right this second what that investigation consists of because it's so complex and lasts several episodes, you'll just have to listen to what I say about it when we're talking about the episodes. But it's an interconnected web of conspiracy, death, mystery, and a whole bunch of hoopla, and it has the audience begging for more. Another story was introduced this season but wasn't finished, and that was Sydney unraveling the truth about her mother, once to believe to have died in a car accident years ago, but later found out to be a part of the KGB spying on her dad and she faked her own death. Then, of course, there are minor stories here and there, like her roommate Francie's boyfriend and his infidelity, uh, Sydney not knowing if she can trust her dad or not, the budding romance she has between her handler, uh, Vaughn, and uh, a lot of other stuff, like uh, Sloane's wife and how she has cancer and things like that. There's also a good amount of landmark episodes this season, and while I would normally list them off here... That would just take too much time because the entire season was essentially landmark episodes to the series. Instead, I think we'll just skip ahead uh, right to the episode analysis 
So that's what we're gonna do. So that's where all the important stuff lies. And okay, so you ready? Here we go. Episode one is called Truth Be Told, or maybe Pilot, I guess it depends on who you ask. Uh, I call it the one with the tooth puller, or the one with the origin story, maybe. Uh, it is a landmark episode, but then again, it should be. It's the pilot episode, and basically everything that happens in it is important to the series as a whole. Uh, so this first episode of Alias holds so much important that it's hard to fully make sure we cover everything, but I will try. Obviously, the pilot episode introduces you to Sydney Bristow, who's just an ordinary girl living an ordinary life, except for one thing, she's secretly also a spy working for an organization known only as SD6. In her real life, she's got a great roommate, Francie, who she considers as her female best friend, and she has Will, her male best friend, played by the one and the only Bradley freaking Cooper, guys. Will is in love with Sydney, by the way. She has Danny, her very romantic fiancé, and of course she has her overprotective and strict father, Jack Bristow, who she simply believes to be a seller of airplane parts. They're not very close. In her secret agent life, you have SD6 and a ton of people she works with. It's impossible to list them all off right now, but the main three you need to know are Marcus, who is her partner, otherwise known as Dixon, Marshall, the guy that builds all the spy tech, and Sloan, who is the boss. We kick off the major importance this season, and even series as a whole, when Sydney reveals to Danny that she works for the CIA, something she's not supposed to do. But she's marrying the dude and can't keep that part of her life a secret. She tells him that she was approached at college about a job, that she took a test that she was a natural at, and the rest is history. She told him that he cannot tell anyone about what she confided in him about, and he's all like, yeah, of course, of course, you're, you're going to be my wife. I, I can keep your secret. And then he calls her later to say that he's okay with it, but the phone conversation is recorded. Sloan hears about it and tells Jack Bristow, you know what needs to be done. So now you know that her father is also affiliated with the organization as well. The next thing you know, Sydney Bristow returns from her mission in China and finds Danny has been murdered because Sydney revealed everything to him, which also turns her into a risk for SD6, especially when she takes off time due to his death. SD6 gave her a month because, I mean, they're nice enough, and she stayed out for three. So a hit was placed out on her too, and her dad saves her from the hit and reveals to her that he's an SD6 and that it's a part of an alliance that broke away from the U.S. government and in actuality is an enemy of the country, not the CAA, as she thought it was. Now, throughout the episode, we have a disruption in the timeline. It keeps cutting back and forth to Sydney in China with bright red hair, interacting who, with who I like to call the Tooth Polar, one villain in the show that shows up now and then. You think it's just another mission that SD6 sent her on, but in actuality, she's on a solo mission for herself to retrieve a device that SD6 wants, so when she brings them the device, they can stop gunning for her life and she'll be in their good graces again. The entire way the episode was shot and edited together feels like a movie because, yeah, there's a lot of important things going on, but it's woven together amazingly well to tell one complete story. By the end of the episode, we start our double agent storyline because Sydney heads to the CIA to report on SD6 and finds out her father is working for them as a double agent as well. In this scene, we meet Michael Vaughn and Weiss for the first time, making it one well-rounded episode that maybe should have been two hours long, but even so, it was done very well for what it is.
Episode two is called So It Begins. Uh, I call this one the one where Jack begins to work with Sydney. This is not a landmark episode. It is important to a certain regards. So it goes like this. Sydney hates SD6. She plans to take them down in record time, two months top. Vaughn has her proof she has what it takes by drawing him a map of SD6 and all its known affiliates. She does so, and he shows her the real map, 20 times the size of hers, and tells her two months it's not going to be good. It's long term, and that he's in charge of how she handles this double agent gig. At SD6, Jack decides to formally come out as one of the bosses in order to stay out of the shadows with the CIA. It helps that they can work together without suspicion. Meanwhile, Will, her friend, is a reporter, and as such, he always will be needing answers, and he starts to look into Danny's mysterious murder. Uh, that's where this episode is important. It starts the whole Will investigation storyline. Other than that, it's not that memorable of an episode, but let's keep on going. Parody is episode three. I call this one the one with Anna Espinosa. This is a landmark episode. It's talking about Rambaldi. Uh, also introduces you to Anna Espinosa for the first time. So this is the first episode we hear the name Milo Rambaldi, which is a 15th century prophet who basically created a ton of designs for technology that people in modern time are trying to create and use to take over the world. Well, not really, but essentially that's the idea. There's a lot of mystery surrounding Rambaldi, and he is in fact a giant focus of the series, like I said, not just the season, making this a landmark episode as it is Rambaldi-focused. You even discover the device Sydney ran into in the pilot episode was designed by Rambaldi. What's cool about this is that it was planned to be a Rambaldi in the writing stage, but they didn't feel the rush to tell you about that right away, not even by the second episode. You often have the problem where new TV shows want to give way too much away too fast in the pilot episode, and they have little else to fall back on by the next episode, but J.J. Abrams is a master creator. I don't care what you think of the man. He had an intricate web planned out for his shows and now films. Think about how packed the pilot episode was by itself, and there was even more to it than that than you even realized, which is awesome. Anyways, this episode, Sydney is after plans that Rambaldi worked out that are found in the back of a sketch that SD6 only has a partial piece to. She heads to Madrid and runs into assassin Anna Espinosa, who works for a rival organization uh, called K-Directorate. Uh, think of her like Sydney's evil twin. Will Tippin was originally thwarted in his investigation into Danny's murder by Sydney, who lied and said she knew about something about his passport. I don't remember exactly. But when picking up something for Sydney, he notices a traffic camera across the street, and another like uh, sparks in his head, and he once again begins to dig into the event. Meanwhile, Agent Vaughn is demoted, and a different agent takes his place, and he and Sydney butt heads almost immediately. She gets them to promote Vaughn to make sure he returns to being her handler. By the end of the episode, Anna and Sydney meet in a football field and open a briefcase to find, oh my god, a cliffhanger. We don't know until the next episode. Episode 4 is called A Broken Heart. I call this one the one with Rambaldi's golden son. This, of course, is yet another landmark episode as it has more to do with Rambaldi uh, and one of his artifacts. In the brief case was the second piece of the puzzle they were looking for, but Acid was quickly pouring over it to 
fully dissolve it, making it so that Anna and Sydney both had no other choice but to memorize it. The code turns out to be a geographic location which sends her to Malaga, Spain to recover the next piece of the puzzle, which is a gold circular crystal from a church's stained glass window known as Sol de Oro. Sol de Oro, or the Golden Sun, was one of two Rambaldi artifacts that eventually reveal the location of the Rambaldi's journal in a future episode. While it looks like glass, it's actually a synthetic polymer, something Rambaldi also invented. Will's investigation. Sidney told him Danny's passport to Singapore was created because he had a medical conference he had to make to before he was murdered. Will has been looking into the medical conferences around that time in Singapore, but he finds out that Danny wasn't scheduled to appear at any of them. Hmm, a mystery. While looking up his travel plans, he discovered that Danny also wasn't planning to travel alone. He was planning to travel with someone named Kate Jones. Uh, so... Kate Jones, of course, is an alias given to Sydney by her father to escape from SD6 along with the trip to Singapore. But Will doesn't know that, which means he is getting dangerously close to danger. As far as Francie goes, during this episode, Francie discovers that her boyfriend is cheating on her after staking him out with Sydney. She spies on them kissing across the street. Bad, Charlie. Bad. By the end of this episode, Sydney witnesses a small bomb being implanted into Patel, who was an Edgar Peace Prize winner who was scheduled to speak at the UCO conference. And cliffhanger. Episode 5 is called Doppelganger. I call this one the one where Dixon unknowingly kills the CIA. We'll talk about that in a second. But this is not a landmark episode. It is important for Will's investigation, though. So Sidney and Dixon work together to stop that philanthropist from blowing up the conference. They kidnap him in an ambulance, and Dixon pulls the bomb out of his chest and throws it out the back of the ambulance and blows up the people that are following them with the trigger, which were hot on their trail, which is a really great way to start the show. The mission in this episode is about an extraction. Sydney and Dixon extract a German man, and the CIA has her switch the real German with a CIA plant. Sloan begins to get suspicious when the CIA plant can't answer questions as expected, and he even questions it more when he learns Sydney changed the drop location at the last second. Dixon asks her about it, and she plays dumb for now. So a little heat is on her from the absolutely worst place imaginable. Sydney stealthily figures out the location of the uh, Hensel vaccine inhaler, which uh, what Sloan was after, and makes it look like the plant was the real person again, putting her in the clear. As for Will's investigation, it leads him to a uh, Kate Jones, the name he spotted in the search before. She meets him and says Danny and her had an affair and they were leaving the country together. Will confronts her about another search he made that discovered her social security number is linked to a Kate Jones that died in 1973. She immediately gets up and rushes away, not answering any more questions. The inhaler they found was, uh, was in Badenweiler, Germany, so Sloan sends them there to retrieve it and to blow a uh, plant up so nowhere else can use the vaccine. Her alter mission is to disable the bomb and switch the vaccine inhaler with the CIA who met with her inside the plant. And she gets out of the building safely. Dixon attempts to blow up the building and nothing happens because she, you know, disabled the bomb. But lo and behold, he had a secondary detonator that Sidney didn't know about and he uses that to blow up the building for real with the CIA agents 
still inside Cliffhanger. Episode 6 is called Reckoning. I call this one the one where Sidney Bristow's crazy. Uh, this is not a landmark episode, but it is important for Will's investigation, as well as a story where the, there's a mole with an SD6. Alright, so Dixon collects a stunned Sydney when she couldn't immediately leave the scene with him, and they are chased by gunmen shooting after them, but don't worry guys, they do get away. And uh, since the last episode, Sydney has been looking into an FBI connection her father had. She discovers that he wouldn't be working with the FBI at all, unless they expected him of trading evil secrets as a KGB agent. Knowing the FBI agent to be dead... She visits his widow, who shows her a photo of the FBI agent, which so happens to be the man who crashed into her mother's car, killing them both. She believes that due to her father's suspicious activities, her mother was killed. The relationship continues to be shrouded in a mystery and is strained further. As far as Francie's story, she meets uh, up with Charlie, who she believes to is going to just break up with her. Instead, he reveals to her that he wishes to be a professional singer, and the woman she saw him with was his partner, and they were her rehearsing that night. He hands her a ticket to his next performance, which she heads to, and sees that indeed he is a very lovely singer. As far as Will's investigation goes, his investigation discovers the true identity of who he met with him pretending to be Kate Jones, but she pepper sprays him, sends him away. Later on, she calls him, says sorry about that, and she tells him that she was hired to pretend to be Kate Jones and that and uh, that she never had an affair with Danny. She said, meet me back at my apartment for more information. But when he gets there, he finds the apartment vacant. As far as the SD6 goes, Marshall discovers that there's a worm that the CIA had placed inside their building. He doesn't know it's CIA, but he finds it a worm. Sloane sees this and calls an unknown ally, saying they need to meet. He thinks they may have a mole. Tensions rise. Sidney and Dixon's current mission is to recover one of the FTL's genetically secured encoder devices, a highly sophisticated piece of cryptology equipment from an operative named Smythe, who owns a photo gallery in London. Dixon impersonates a wealthy buyer, distracting Smythe long enough for Sydney to break into the owner's highly secure offices, recovering the device. With the encoder in SD6's possession, Marshall discovers it works by single-user DNA, sampled by a speck of skin from the recipient's fingertip. So SD6 needs the fingertip of Gareth Parkashoff, now dead, and uh, whose burial location is unknown except to his assassin. With the alias of a patient, Sidney must infiltrate the insane asylum in Bucharest where Gareth's killer has been committed. Sidney's mission is to trigger Shepard for the body's coordinates by reciting a poem by John Donne, a, uh, a known key from the assassin's programming. Sydney is admitted upon their arrival in Romania, but her discharge will prove to be much more complex, for only too late does the CIA discover that this institute is also run by Dr. Kreshnik, a K-director agent. K um, this episode ends on the cliffhanger when she finds that the gates to this institution appear to be sealed for good. Episode 7 is called Colorblind. I call this one the one with Danny's assassin. This is also not a landmark episode, but it is important on three elements. Will's investigation, whatever's going on with the KGB, and the uh, 
SD6 Mole. Alright, so like usual, we start this episode right off where the last one left off, with Sydney stuck in the insane asylum, only this time the mission kind of continues more than just the first scene or so. These two episodes are so very focused on this insane asylum that it might as well just be a two-parter. She's still on a mission to retrieve the location where the assassin buried his victim, only now K-Directorate is there with her now and they want the same thing making this a very complicated and difficult issue after she eventually escapes the asylum with the assassin in tow he begins to regain some lost memories throughout the episode he kept telling sydney that he's seen her face before and she's sure he hasn't turns out he has in a picture on a mantle the night he murdered danny he was danny's assassin as far as Will's investigation story goes, he discovers that the woman he kn knew to be Kate Jones was recently murdered, making it a connection to Danny's murder, deepening the investigation. He does get cold feet about the whole thing, not wanting to hurt Sydney, but he's gotten so far with it now that even if he did drop it, someone else uh, at his job would take the story. As far as Francie's story goes, Charlie proposes to her, in which she says yes. As far as Jack's story with the KGB, he reveals to Sydney that the FBI cleared him of their suspicions of being a KGB agent, that it was during the height of the Cold War and everyone was suspected of the same, but she was right. Their suspicions of his involvement with the KGB led to her mother's death. As far as the SD6 mole story, Sloan continues to plan to take care of their mole problem, which he says the Mikola or something like that will draw them out. The FTL encryption stuff leads them uh, to Oxford's Department of Engineering, where another Rimbaldi artifact was sent for analysis. But Vaughn warns her that Anna Espinosa was spotted had headed that way as well. Cliffhanger. Episode 8 is called Time Will Tell. It's the one well, I call the one with the very old clockmaker. This one is a landmark episode. It's very, very important as far as Rambaldi goes. So we have another Rambaldi artifact episode. In the last episode, everything in the insane asylum led to the location of a special clock that Rambaldi had a clockmaker create. Sloane has found a direct descendant of that clockmaker, which Sydney is to find and fix the clock, which wasn't working when they found it, and they hope... The descendant will know what to do. They need to it working to decipher Rambaldi's next clue. So as far as Will's investigation goes, he's still trying to thwart his editor from pushing for the story, and it's not working. He discovers the name Kate Jones was removed from the passenger manifest from the airline, and he goes to a mechanic who has been holding onto Kate's car, wondering why she never picked it up. He inspects the car and finds a weird flower lapel which he later discovers is a bugging device. Even though his editor finally relented and took him off the story, he's unsure if he can let this go at this point. Flip-flop, flip-flop, man. Anyways, as far as the mole story goes, it's time for everyone to take a lie detector test to find this mole. One, that's not like a normal lie detector test. It's a test that measures something about the blood in the brain and is very difficult to deceive. After she takes the test, Sloane asks her questionnaire, Jigsaw, the guy who plays Jigsaw in the Saw movies, if he is finished with her results, and he says, I think we found our mole. And this is the first part of the cliffhanger of the episode. Sydney pays a visit to the clockmaker who says Rimbaldi promised his ancestor an incredibly long life if he made the clock. He also said Rimbaldi 
quote-unquote, never told me what the date on the back of the clock meant, suggesting this isn't an ancestor. This is the Donoto. This is the clockmaker that created the clock from the get-go, and that he really is really old. <laughs> Uh, which is one of the first craziest things you ever see on the show, suggesting that it's more than just a grounded show, that it's more of a fantasy show. Uh, Marshall discovers now that the clock was the second piece of the Rambaldi mystery. The Golden Sun connects to it and presents a star map, an ancient GPS tracking service that Sloan discovers the only area on Earth that has that view of the stars is Mount Akanaco, I can't even say the word, in Argentina. So, in Argentina, Sydney and Dixon discover a hatch of sorts that leads down to a cave. In the cave, Sydney finds the Rambaldi journal. Anna Espinosa finds Sydney in the cave as well, and they fight. Anna takes the journal, and the two of them begins to climb the ladder back to the surface and fight while climbing, and Anna pushes Sydney off the ladder, plummeting into darkness beneath, which is the second part of the cliffhanger. Episode 9 is called Mia Culpa. I think that's how you say it. I call this one the one where Deep Throat calls Will Tippin. Uh, not a landmark episode, but it is very, very important for the Will investigation, and it's also important for the Mole story. So Deep Throat, of course, is a character in the X-Files uh, known for calling Mulder with secret information, which was based off of the real Deep Throat who spilled details about the Watergate scandal. Similar in this show as well. So starting off where we last left Sydney at the bottom of the cave, she climbs back out, slightly injured, and she follows a trail of blood to find a slightly more injured Dixon with a gunshot wound hiding in the brushes. She uses a walkie-talkie that the CIA gave her to call in for support, and Dixon overhears her using a code name he's never heard before, forcing her in a snowball effect of lies to everyone. She gets him to the hospital pronto. As far as the mole story goes, the guy who plays Jigsaw in the Saw movies reveals Sydney's lie detector test to Sloan. It has perfect results. Too perfect. In J Jigsaw's mind, to which he believes Sydney is the mole, Sloan meets with Sydney and apologizes about Danny that he has always thought of her as a daughter because he's known her since she was a baby, that he wanted her to know that he, before he went away. Uh, after she leaves, Sloane offers a hit on Sydney in Rome, which Jack catches looking at the hidden channels and discovers it's a setup by Sloane, that it's a bluff to see how the CIA reacts, and he gets the CIA to stand down, keeping her loyalty to SD6 intact. As far as the investigation goes, Will has the flower lapel he found in the last episode assessed, and he finds out the lapel is on right now, recording them. Will gets a bit desperate and tells the lapel to call him, saying they need to talk about what happened to Danny. That night, he meets up with Francie, and they're joking about the bug, when Will gets a call that tells him to stop talking about the bug. The mysterious voice calls Will Tippin from a payphone later, asking how far he's willing to learn about Kate Jones, that he needs to say the words, I'm ready, which Will reluctantly does so. In his car, he finds a tape in the glove compartment, which is an audio clip of Kate Jones being murdered. In her current mission, she heads to a bank vault where she needs to find out bank account numbers, and her counter, counter mission is basically to transmit those numbers to the CIA, which she does. 
Marshall discovers that transmission, though, and he relays that to the Jigsaw guy, who in turn relays the information to Sloan, and Sloan does not look very pleased. By the end of this episode, Sydney heads back to the parking garage of the hospital and is kidnapped by a couple of guys. I'm telling you guys, parking garages are the worst. After kidnapping her, they call Sloan and tell him, we got her. Cliffhanger. Episode 10 is called Spirit. I call this one the one where Jack alters the transmission. Um, this is also not a landmark episode. It is very important for Will's investigation. Sydney wakes up in a dingy cell next to Rusik, Rusik, whatever his name is, who was another agent working on the same mission last time, and Sloan told Rusik that in order for Sydney to talk, she has to believe a colleague is being tortured, which is why he's there, to basically be bait. After the intro credits, though, Sydney arrives at SD6 to Sloan confiding in her that Rusik was the mole all along and he has been killed. Sydney suspects that Sloan's playing her, still believing her to be a mole. Vaughn is unsure about that. As far as the investigations goes, Will has the tape analyzed, confirms that it's a hit based on the type of gun and sounding like close proximities on where she was shot. Looking at all of the audio layers, he listens to the killer's voice as it asks Kate Jones if she told anybody about SD6. Now he knows that there's something else he needs to learn about, whatever the heck SD6 is. Will researches the name, and he finds only a single reference in a transcript from a lawsuit against David McNeil, an expert computer encryption guy, who is now in jail for embezzlement. Will questions the lawyer, Robert Stroller, who says that McNeil only pled guilty after his wife killed herself under questionable circumstances and didn't want his daughter to die in a similar fashion. So Will meets with McNeil in prison, who won't talk about SD6. The only thing he said was never talk to that lawyer again. Sydney's current mission is to find Hassan, an arms dealer seen in a previous episode, but it turns out he has a new face, plastic surgery and all, and so he slips under her radar. Sloan tells Jack that he wants Hassan dead. The CIA, on the other hand, doesn't. He has a client list that they need, which tells them who has weapons where. So he tells Jack that they need to fake the death for SD6 and get the client list for the CIA. Vaughn also bluffs Jack, tells them that he intercepted the message that Rusick apparently leaked and that they didn't match with her own transmission. Then he tells Jack that he claims he knows he altered the transmission to have Rusick take Sydney's place, being killed as the mole. Even though it was a hunch without any real evidence, Jack admits to what he did. Then, Sidney learns about it through Vaughn, who somewhat sticks up for Jack's actions, because he was protecting Sidney. So Jack set out to Cuba to carry out his mission to fake Hassan's death, but is captured, so Sidney has to save him. Just as he's about to complete his mission, even after he's captured, they capture Sidney when they find her trying to save him. To prove his loyalty to them, Hassan orders Jack to kill Sidney. And cliffhanger. Episode 11 is called The Confession. I call this one the one with a plot twist about Sidney's mother. It is not a landmark episode, but it is important for the KGB aspects. So, obviously Jack doesn't kill Sidney. He doesn't figure out that the gun is empty or anything. What he does do is relay a message to Sidney through blinking Morse code. And they carry out an attack on their attackers and they get away with Hazan. And Jack and Sidney still fake his death as planned and obtained his connections as planned. 
Vaughn confirms the codes Sydney found in her father's books in an earlier episode were indeed KGB orders to kill CIA agents, which was a number of cold cases they've had and had never solved. Vaughn now believes Jack is the KGB officer responsible and plans to report him. He even secretly records a reluctant Sydney who says her father was probably responsible for those deaths. He feels guilt over recording the conversation without her knowledge and gives her back the tape and uh, even tells her one of the CIA agents her father killed was his own father. The mission in this episode has to do with obtaining something called the package that the now-believed-to-be-dead Hassan was responsible for initially, and now one of his contacts is controlling it. The counter-mission is to give SD-6 a number of fake files while she gives the CIA the real package. It doesn't exactly go down that way, though. Sydney is unable to obtain the files they want, but Dixon is. He downloads the files and sends them to SD-6. The CIA discovers the location of the package is in a silo on Crete, and Sydney needs to go there to find it. But SD-6 is still out of the loop, so she actually has to get the info to them to give her a reason for SD-6 to send it there, where she picks up the mysterious device. At CIA, Sydney, Vaughn, and Jack show up to discuss the past KGB allegations, where he reveals he was not that KGB agent. Her mother was. Cliffhanger! The Box Part 1 is episode 12. Uh, I call this one the first one with Quentin Tarantino. Seriously, Quentin Tarantino. Um, so this episode is important for Will's investigation. We'll get into that. So Sydney leaves the room where the confession took place in shock of the revelation she just learned about her mother. Uh, the SD6 story is starting to freak Will out on his investigation, as people have already been killed because of it, and he fears for his own safety, as well as David McNeil's daughter, if he pursues it, and says he's done. But you see, he's not done. Deep Throat calls him again, and tells him there's a file on his desk. He avoids it, constantly talking about being done. He ends up meeting with McNeil's daughter, something Deep Throat set up, and Will just keeps avoiding the topic. She follows him back to work and asks him personally to keep looking into SD6. He relents, and he opens the envelope left for him on his desk. Inside, he finds a key. To what, I, am, I wonder? Meanwhile, SD6 is infiltrated by Tarantino and gang. They're looking for something in the SD6 vault, but they don't know it's wired with explosives. If the door is open, it'll set it off. Sydney works with Jack diehard style to save SD6 of all places. They get a device created by Marshall that scrambles information just enough to stop the terrorists from opening the, the vault. It works, but they hear Sydney trying to escape in the overhead air ducts, and they open fire on her, narrowly missing her. Then they climb up to the shaft to find her, and cliffhanger. Episode 13, The Box Part 2. I call this one the second one with Quentin Tarantino. Now, even though the first part wasn't a landmark episode, the second part is because you find out the thing that, that they're looking for in the vault is a Rimbaldi artifact. So, um, turns out the people she heard coming through the vents wasn't the bad guys, but instead was her father, Jack, revealing himself and thwarting their suspicions from Sydney. He left her with the locations to C4 explosives to disarm. Dixon sends a message to CIA to help them, believing them to still be a part of the CIA. And the message gets to Vaughn, who fights against his better judgment to just storm SD-6, 
or if it's a trap sent by Sloane. Instead, he heads there alone to help Sydney. They find out whatever is in the vault has something to do with Rimbaldi. Back to Will. Following his next clue, the key sent to him leads him to a peer's locker area. His key unlocks a locker door, and inside he finds a pathology report for Kate Jones. By the end of the episode, the terrorists get inside the vault and retrieve the Rimbaldi artifact, but before they can get away, Sidney comes and saves the day and gets the Rimbaldi artifact back, but gives it to the CIA, not SD6, since Vaughn's there anyways. Jack asks her what she told Sloane, and Sidney just says she'll be back tomorrow, which makes him happy because she was planning to quit that day. Episode 14 is called The Coop or Coup. I'm not entirely sure how you pronounce that. I call this one the one with the introduction to Sark. This is a landmark episode as it introduces Sark, but it's also a Rimbaldi episode. So, SD6 wasn't the only place attacked. One of their rivals, FTL, was also attacked and basically destroyed where another Rambaldi artifact was stolen, and the plans is for this unnamed organization to sell the Rambaldi artifact to K-Directorate, so the mission is to bug a K-Directorate agent and their meeting to share that information. Back to Will. Will heads back to the prison to get more information out of David McNeil, who said the encryption software he created had a backdoor program that listed everyone who logged onto his software to use it without their knowledge, and he sends Will to get that information. As far as Francie goes, Cindy finds out Charlie was indeed cheating on Francie with another student at her campus. Sydney and Dixon head to Las Vegas for that meeting between K-Directorate and the unknown agency that has the Rambaldi artifact. Unfortunately, Francie and Charlie are also at the same Las Vegas casino, making this mission that much more difficult. In mid-mission, Sydney stops Francie and Charlie from having a Vegas wedding by revealing to Charlie she found out about the affair, and that if he doesn't tell Francie about the affair and he marries her, she's going to kill him. The way they bug the K-Director is by switching his ring with an exact replica. By the end of this episode, Sydney heads to Moscow to eavesdrop on the meeting between Mr. Sark and the head of K-Directorate. Sark wants to buy the next Rimbaldi artifact from them. K-Directorate says no thanks, and Sark kills him. A lieutenant steps up and agrees to the deal. After that, Sydney is spotted eavesdropping. Machine gun fires around her and... That's while she's in the middle of dangling on a rope. Cliffhanger! Page 47 is the 15th episode of the season. I call this one the one with Rambaldi's sketch of Sydney. So after being shot at by machine gun fire, Sydney cuts the rope holding her and Tarzan swings into the building opposite. Inside that building, she is chased by officers of K-Directorate, or maybe Sark's men, I'm not sure. She gets cornered, but Dixon comes and saves the day, and the two of them get away. Back to Will. Sloane reveals to Jack that he knows Will has been visiting McNeil in prison and wants Jack to kill him, but Jack still seems reluctant. Tells Sloane that they need to find out what they're actually saying first. They need audio, so they have someone plant a bug on Will. After another meeting at the prison, Will is taken captive. They tell him Danny and Kate Jones were victims of circumstance, unfortunate deaths, and they warn him that others may follow if he doesn't stop what he's doing, including Sydney might die too. Sydney's mission is to head to Tunisia to retrieve a Rambaldi manuscript, the same one Anna Espinosa got in that cave a few episodes back. It's being held on a yacht, so she heads there. 
Her countermission is basically just to take a picture of it for the CIA before returning it to SD6, which she does. Among the manuscripts is a blank page. Now the CIA wants her to switch the blank page with a fake one before Sloan can have it analyzed. Sloan is keeping the manuscript at his home, and at a dinner event, he invites Sidney there with a friend to show her the blank page in, a private, uh, in private before he sends it away. She managed to do it, but when she was leaving Sloan's home, home office she finds him at the doorway staring at her but we don't know how long he was watching her do what she was doing uh at the dinner event she invites will as her plus one but jack also comes and will saw jack's eyes recently before under the hood of the people who took him a captive but he doesn't notice at least not yet he later goes back to david mcdeal in prison and says he's off the story again which is exactly what sd6 wanted him to say at the meeting if he had said anything else, they would have killed him. Meanwhile, the CIA figured out how to read the Rambaldi document using the vial of Rambaldi liquid that Quentin Tarantino was after in his two-parter episode. They got an image to show up on the document, an image of Sidney that Rambaldi drew. Cliffhanger. The Prophecy is episode 16. I call this one the one with the prophecy. It is also very important for uh, the Rambaldi thing, so it is a landmark episode. This episode begins with the CIA doing a bunch of what appears to be IQ tests on Sydney, which she grows tired of quickly and leaves when they push for a physical evaluation. She later relents and gives in based on what Emily Sloan, Sloan's wife, tells her about her cancer, that if she stopped denying the truth, her cancer would have been healed by now. At SD6, Sloan tells Sidney he hasn't seen his wife's spirits that high in a long time and says there is no mission, just hang out with my wife and make her happy, okay? Meanwhile, he has another mission that he gives Jack, kills Kazanow, the man responsible for the, for the taking over of SD6, led by Tarantino. The Alliance doesn't know what they want to do about him, so, but Sloan talks it over with Edward Poole, the leader of SD9, and they both want Kazanow dead. So... This branch of the government doing tests on Sydney is basing the prophecy off of a misread code key. See, the Rambaldi text is written entirely in code, forcing them to decrypt it, but they're doing it wrong. So Sydney talks Vaughn into breaking into the Vatican's secret archives to find the real code key to find out what the prophecy actually states. Remember, breaking into the Vatican was something J.J. Abrams revisited with Mission Impossible 3, uh, a movie that honestly feels a lot like Alias. Heck, they might have even used Joey's Pizza in that one too, with a similar secret meeting that you typically see in this show. Anyway, the secret archives found in Alias are vastly different than the secret archives found in the Angels and Demons movie. At the CIA, Vaughn provides the code key to decipher Rambaldi's writings, which only confirms what the DSR has already discovered, and he's not happy about that. Sydney is taken into custody, plucked from a nightclub where she has met up with Francine Will, and the prophecy is finally revealed to her. According to Rambaldi, a woman bearing Sydney's characteristics will appear. She will fulfill the prophecy and render the greatest power unto, under desolu de desolation. Sydney is driven away in chains and shackles by the DSR, now a prisoner of a 15th century prophecy. Cliffhanger. Fun fact, the leader of uh, SD9 is played by classic James Bond actor Roger Moore. My least favorite Bond of the bunch, but classic nonetheless, which is cool to see. Episode 17 is called Q&A. Um, I call this one the one with the recap. Uh, this is not a landmark episode, but it is important for Arena albeit 
barely. Irina is uh, Sydney's mother. This episode starts off with a recap under the guise of, well, a Q&A. Locke from Lost, Terry O'Quinn, is in this episode as the CIA guy that is interviewing Sydney and asks her for basically her origin story, or basically the story up to this point. Meanwhile, Vaughn is trying to find a way to get Sydney out of there because there are apparently a million laws in place that could technically mean they could keep her there indefinitely. So, in the Rimbaldi text, Vaughn discovers that it says Sydney would never physically go to a location, and because this government is taking the Rimbaldi text so literally, if she were to travel there, they'd have to come to the conclusion that she isn't actually the woman in the text and let her go. So, Vaughn and Jack kidnap, kidnap, uh, kidnap Sydney. And uh, she doesn't go there yet. She is attacked and her car goes underwater. She uses the intellect to use the air and the tires to breathe underwater to stay hidden from her enemies. And she comes to the conclusion that if she could think about that, her mother could have done the same exact thing. And that her mom must still be alive. Uh, a note, fun fact, every now and again you do get episodes that act as a recap in TV shows, but hardly ever do you find one within the first season. That just shows you how complex the show is. Technically, it is so loaded with information that it feels like you're a few seasons in already, so a recap episode in some ways does make sense. It's a little weird, technically speaking, but I do understand. Episode 18 is called Masquerade. I call this one the one with Sydney's ex-boyfriend. Uh, also not a landmark episode, but is important for Sydney's mother. Also barely in there, but whatever. So Sydney finally makes it to that location the prophecy said she'd never see, freeing her from the government's grasp, and she's on to the next mission. She spoke to Sloane about possibly going rogue to find her mother. At first, Sloane's against it, but says everyone has a right to know their mother. The mission he gives her is basically to find her superior, which is what SD6 is after anyway. On that mission, she runs into an old flame, and their entire chemistry is cringeworthy and annoying, and that's more or less what the entire episode is about. Ugh. Anyways, Francie shows Will a return plane ticket from Italy for Sydney, and Will wonders why uh, she wouldn't just tell them about the trip to Italy. And the two of them begin to theorize what she's doing. Episode 19 is called Snowman. I call this one the one with the snowman. Uh, also not a landmark episode, but it is important for Sydney's mother. Okay, so at the safe house, Sydney and her ex-boyfriend run when their location is discovered, but they get away okay. In the previous mission, they ran into some data that revealed uh, Irina being interrogated for the first time after her supposed death. In the same video is the FBI agent that suspected her of KGB, uh, which is weird because the video revealed that he was also KGB. You learn her name is actually Irina in this episode. As far as Will goes, after finding her ticket from Italy, they confront her about it, and she comes up with something spur of the moment about the bank having foreign contacts and non-disclosure agreements and blah, 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 and she just wasn't allowed to talk about it. That's all. During the mission in the episode, Sydney and her ex find a corrupted hard drive, which seems to have nothing on it, but good old Marshall discovers the location of Kazanow. Her ex is sent undercover again, never to be seen again. Or is he? So Dixon and Sydney are sent to find Volenko, the FBI slash KGB agent who also faked his death when Arena did. She needs him to f help her personally find her mother, or at least Casano. At the same time, the snowman, a mysterious hitman, 
is also headed in the same direction. Unfortunately, she gets there too late. Valenko is murdered by the snowman, and she fights him off in a crazy hand-to-hand -hand combat sequence, ultimately killing him. That's when she finds out who the snowman is. Her ex. Ooh, crazy twist. Thank God, though. Now we don't have to see his weird mug anymore. That entire side story is the closest this show has ever felt to being filler. Episode 20 is called The Solution. So Will gets a call from Deep Throat again, who tells him the man who kidnapped him and scared him away was none other than Jack frickin' Bristow. So later on, Will finds an image of Jack and looks specifically at his eyes, and he uses a mark to black out the rest of his face and can, can kind of tell that Deep Throat was telling the truth. So he decides to go meet Jack himself. Jack basically comes clean and says, yeah, I work in intelligent, that's all you need to know, and he's intrigued by the prospect that there's a whistleblower that's contacting Will and talking about information he shouldn't know. So he decides to work with Will on discovering the truth about the whistleblower's true identity. When Francie thinks the apartment is filled with rats, she tells Sydney about it and says they need a trap to get them, which sparks an idea in Sydney's brain. Kazan now still believes the Rambaldi liquid is still in SD6's vault, so they should stage a black market sale to bring Kazanel out in the open, grab him, which should help them discover the location of Irina. Before the mission, Sydney meets with Emily, who reveals to Sydney that she knows about SD6, even though Sloane never said anything to her because she's picked up on details here and there throughout the years. But the whole conversation with Sydney is recorded because it's in an SD6 hospital. Sloane's the only one that can save her now, and he's kind of expected to be the one to kill her by the Alliance, and we don't know what he does in the episode. So Sydney's on. She takes some time off working at SD6 to do this deal with the uh, CIA. She's undercover in a garment, but little did she know, Sloane figured out about the meeting and sent Dixon in to ambush the meeting and retrieve the Rambali liquid. Sydney's in heavy makeup and hidden under a disguise, but somehow, something about her looks dangerously familiar to Dixon. Cliffhanger! Episode 21, it's called Rendezvous. It's called The One Where Will Finds Out Sydney's Secret. So obviously this is a landmark episode, Will Finds Out Her Secret. So if you're watching Smallville or something like that, it would be the same thing if somebody found out Clark's secret. Same thing. So after Dixon found the meeting, Vaughn had the CIA start shooting up the area, helping Sydney get away, but Dixon follows her. They have a bit of a tussle, and Dixon ends up cutting up her arm before she gets away, which is pretty classic for finding somebody's, uh, you know, identity in movies like this. Uh, as far as Will's story go, Jack is helping Will say the right things to get Deep Throat to show himself. So Will unknowingly goes to the same location that Sidney and Dixon go on their next mission. So the hunt for Casino is back in full effect. In that meeting, SD6 captured Sark, who agreed to help them in return for his own life. So Sydney, Dixon, and team head to Casanau's location in an attempt to retrieve a Rambaldi document. Not Casanau himself, not yet. While there, Sydney spots Will being captured, and she heads in to save him, revealing herself to him for the first time, and she and Jack get him out of there and immediately give him a new identity to get to a safe house. It turns out the Alliance has let Sloane's wife live, only because her terminal status is inevitable. But in this episode, she also discovers that her cancer is in remission. What's Sloane to do now? Back at the safe house, Will opens the door to Sark, who shoots him. And cliffhanger. 
Almost 30 Years is episode 22. It's the finale of the first season. I call this one the one with the big red ball. It's also a landmark episode because it has more to do with Rambaldi, but also Dixon has a little bit of a discovery with Sydney, and there's more about Arena. Lots of stuff. So, I guess Will only got shot by a tranquil dart because Sark has his men strap Will in a seat, and he asks him, what is the circumference, and how do you know about it? Revealing that Sark is Deep Throat. Well, he's not Deep Throat. He works for him. Sark's co-worker in this case is the freaking tooth puller guy in the pilot episode. He calls Sydney, telling her to return the document SD6 stole from his employer, or he will kill Will. Side note. Because Will has been missing, his co-worker journalist goes along with the plan and starts the process of running the story on SD6. Jack agrees to help her save Will, but they need to investigate what's on the page themselves first. He can get the vial of liquid to reveal the page, but the page itself? That's trickier. It's on an off-site SD6 location that needs Sloane's voice print. Throughout this entire tricky operation... Dixon is on to her because he remembers the code name she gave called out to save Dixon's life, Freelancer, which was not her code name with SD6. So he follows her and confronts her on the middle of her countermission. She can't tell him the truth of what she's doing, but she tells him that she's not betraying the country. The blank page reveals instructions on how to use Rambaldi's device she found in the pilot episode. They, uh, take the now unblank page to Sark in exchange for Will's life, and that works. They also have another mission, to destroy the new Rimbaldi artifact, which Sydney said shouldn't be too difficult since it's the size of a shoe, or at least it was in the pilot, which must have been a prototype because the one that she runs into in this episode was huge. And I'll be honest, I thought this didn't happen until the final season's season finale to bring it back around full circle. Maybe it does. I don't know. Guys, it's been over a decade since I saw the show, okay? She sets off a detonation, turns it into water again, and she and Vaughn run to try to escape from it, but Vaughn is caught behind a door, possibly drowning in a not-pennies-boat kind of way. Oh, J.J. Abrams, you sly dog. This was before not-pennies-boat. Anyways, she sticks around. She's trying to save him from his watery tomb, but is captured by Kazanow, who says his boss wants to talk to her. Turns out he's not the boss. He's not the man after all. And instead, there is another. There's someone above him. Sydney's mother. And cliffhanger. That's it, guys. That's season one in a nutshell. And I realize, talking about this out loud, that I must be really, really confusing. Because, honestly, it's a show you have to watch for yourself. You can't just take an hour to talk about all the finer points of the show because it just sounds like hoopla. It sounds over-convoluted. And uh, the majority of people listening to this podcast probably isn't listening this far into it. But if you are, thanks for tuning in. Seriously. Um... Next week, we're going to, not next week, two weeks from now, we're going to be talking about season two of uh, Alias, so make sure that you tune into that. But until then, guys, have a good day, have a good week, and uh, have a good couple of weeks. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Smaller on the Outside, the first, the best, and the only Smallville podcast that you just can't miss. To learn more about the podcast or to listen to older episodes of the podcast, head over to sotocast.weebly.com. Thank you.